Matthew chapter 7, if you would, with me. Again, page 812, if you're using a pew Bible. First word in our text is what I want to draw your attention to is beware. It's a word we've seen before in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not only used here in 715, it's also used in chapter 6 and verse 1. It's a warning word. Uh, the first time Jesus talks about it in 6.1, he's talking about false people who live outwardly one way, but inwardly completely different. In our text, the warning of beware is about not false people, but false prophets. Um, this text is incredibly crucial, and you'll see as we go through it today, because Jesus is still on the topic that we began last week about how do you enter the kingdom How do you know that you're a Christian? How can you be sure that you have eternal life? Um, We said in 713 last week, it says, here's how you enter the kingdom. And that phrase in 713 is there. It's also in our text today in chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. So entering the kingdom is the narrow way, not the broad way. And he says, entering the kingdom is not what you may think. It's not just for people who say, but people who do. And so Jesus says, here's your first, or actually in the text, your second warning. There are going to be false prophets, people who are looking like they're telling you the right way. Their GPS is wrong. Their gospel positioning system is wrong. And they're going to, if you listen to them, they're going to lead you down the wrong road because they're going to teach you to go in the wrong direction. False prophets in the first century were not anything new. Um, Jesus, in fact, in this very gospel at the end of it, in chapter 24, warns that before he comes back again, 2411, there'll be many false prophets. And they will arise and deceive many. So a lot of them, many of them, and many people will be fooled. And my challenge for us this morning is, I pray that you are not one of them. Because many encompasses the opposite of few. Many, it says, will go down the wrong road, the broad road. Many, and the opposite of few means the majority of people. See, could it be that on Judgment Day, that a vast majority of people, even here at Faith Baptist Church, would have been deceived by someone who taught them the wrong thing? In fact, this is so possible that Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. In other words, those who have been chosen by God, the deception is so powerful, so strong, that if you're careful, not even the strongest believers might be fooled by it. And see, fast forward 20 centuries to the 21st century, and we still have false prophets. Joseph Smith and the Mormons. We have Charles Russell of the Jehovah Witnesses, Ellen G. White of Christian Science. And even more radically, we've talked about recently in our day, even in America with the prosperity gospel, with Joel Olstein and Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes. I mean, these people say that they're teaching the truth and the gospel and pointing people the right way, but indeed their gospel is false. I remember a year or two ago, Kenzie came home from Kohl's 
And uh, she said, I met the interesting girl in Coles, And we started talking. And then she introduced me to her friend. And she eventually had a uh, time with them at Starbucks. And then eventually we had these two girls over to our house for dinner. And they were from what was called the Mother of God cult. Where they believe that God is a woman and that God is, is female and that you needed to follow. And they have all these things about a Christ and who died a hundred years ago and so forth. And it, it was, so we had them over the house so, and we asked them about Jesus and what they thought about them. But you know the truth is? It was a false teaching. It was a false teaching. And they are out there. They are out there in the stores. They are out there on TV. They are in books that you might read. And unfortunately, even in some of our churches today. So it's not unusual that Jesus gets to the end of this important sermon about what it means to enter the kingdom. And here's he issues a warning. And listen, heed warnings. Um, we're not often good at it. I remember growing up as a boy when I was in junior high. I didn't have middle school back then. Seventh through ninth grade, I went to Central Junior High in Finley. And a couple of my friends, I was very small. In ninth grade, I was only five foot four. I didn't grow till the next summer. But my friends were all very big already. They played football on the, on the junior high squad. Two of them, Mike Armstrong and Troy Best. They decided because we had a major flooding in our town that they were going to take their canoe, go over the river because at flood stage, the river usually dropped off, the dam dropped off about 10 feet. And it was impossible to go over with your canoe. But at flood stage, the water came so high that it only dropped off about two or three feet. And so they were going to go down there. They said, hey, Walker, you want to go down there and hit the canoe with us afterwards? And I said, absolutely. Until my mom told me, oh, no, I can't go because I have a dentist appointment. So I was going down River Road um, and I was going past them. I was in my van on the way to the dentist appointment. And those two guys and another guy, guy named Rob Kendall took my place. Rob Kendall didn't get in the canoe. He got a little shaky when he saw the river. So the two of them got over. And I saw them stepping in the canoe. Didn't think anything of it. Went to my dentist appointment. You know, about 45 minutes later, I come back from the dentist. And there's sirens, ambulance, police, everything there. What had happened is they had run they had run over the dam and thought because the water was so high, it'd be easy. But the pressure was so powerful that when they went over, that the, it sucked the canoe, it literally invented it like a V. And both of them were, were pushed down. Now, firemen eventually got there. Troy Best was sucked right down to the bottom of the river and under a log and never came up. Mike Armstrong fought and fought for a number of minutes. The police to the firemen got there, and they put a raft on the water and went out to get him. He got on the edge. The raft was so desperate, he pulled the raft, and he pulled the raft, the the, uh, raft and the two firemen into the water, and all three of them drowned. But the craziest thing about that story was that there were all kinds of signs, X's, don't get in the river. Don't go near the dam. They were placarded everywhere. See, but they didn't heed the warnings. They thought they could handle it, and it killed them. You see, Jesus wants to know, see, see you got to heed the warnings. That's why he starts with the word beware. It's, it's an attention getter. He wants to get your attention today because it's crucial, because deception is so strong and so powerful. He, remember, let me say it again. Many people will say to him on that day, and they're not believers. Many. 
He says, beware. I remember going to ski slopes all my life. I lived in Europe with my parents, and we went skiing places, and it would say Black Diamond. Only professional skiers could go down there. And I would hear stories of people who went down those slopes thinking they could handle the moguls and everything else with it, and they would end up injured, and some would be killed. Why? It wasn't because there weren't warnings on those slopes. No, it's because they thought that they knew better. They could handle it. They had their own wisdom. I have heard story after story about signs on the beach. It's high tide. You can't go here. You can't. And people do it anyways. Because we don't heed the warnings. Jesus says, here's my warning to you. Beware of false prophets. They come to you. And here's the catch. See, they have sheep's clothing on the outside, he says, but on the inside, on the inside of who they really are, they are ravenous wolves. See, false prophets look like sheep, but they're really wolves. He goes on to say they look like they're good trees, but they are really bad trees on the inside. See, they say that they know the Lord, but he says at the end of the day, the Lord doesn't know them. And the key to understanding this passage is, All the passages on the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5 and verse 20. Let me repeat it again for you. Please listen. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds, goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, double negative, you will never enter the kingdom. And the scribes and Pharisees had the most meticulous externalism that there was. They kept the law like nobody's business. You and I couldn't even begin to match them. And Jesus says that kind of religiosity, it isn't enough. It isn't enough to enter the heavens. It isn't enough to enter the kingdom. It's not about your performance. It's not about what you do. It's not about what everybody thinks you are. He says, unless you have something on the inside, a complete person righteousness, an inside out righteousness, he says, you'll never enter the kingdom. Cults are famous. For using the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. See, they call Jesus their Savior, but they don't mean the same thing by it. They say God, but they don't mean the God of the Bible. They talk about his salvation and forgiveness and eternal life, but they certainly don't mean the same thing. And they like to look good. They See, cults today, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, they're very family-oriented. They are very moral Uh, integrity oriented and they like to pull you in because they look like traditional christianity they look like bible salvation they they act like they talk like it but the reality on the inside oh it's far different far different Um, god greed and prosperity gospel was a book recently published by a man named costi hen costi hen is the nephew of benny hen the famous tv charismatic evangelist Uh, costi and watching the false teaching of his uncle, Benny Hinn, eventually came to know Christ as his savior. He writes this in the book. The devil does not make it a habit to show up at the foot of your bed with his pitchfork in his hand and a red tail shouting this. I am here to deceive you. He doesn't do it that way. He says, likewise, his false prophets don't make their money by standing on the stage And saying, give your money to my greedy scheme and I will give you a false hope in return. He says, that's not how the deception happens. He says, false prophets are more like the Trojan horse story. See, you can't tell what's on the inside until it's too late. He says, false prophets are like a Las Vegas casino. They promise to give you all the stuff that you dream up up front 
But when the final word is said, they leave you completely empty. See, that's what the deception does. That's what false prophets are about. And that's why Jesus says in the strongest terms, beware, beware of the things you read and you watch on TV and you listen to in the podcast. Beware of the books that you have in your, in your library. He says, because what you really need to do is have a fruit inspection. And he says in our text, you'll recognize them. Notice it frames our text. 716 and 720 have the identical phrase in it. You will know them by their fruits. And in between, Jesus is going to tell you what that means. He says what you can tell about false preachers and false gospels is not so much what they say and not how they look and appear. Here's what he says. He says it's by their lives. And Jesus wants you and I to realize that the truth and error are completely antithetical. They're opposite of one another. That's why in our text he says there are only two gates, the right one and the wrong one, the narrow one and the wide one. He says there are two ways, the narrow and the hard, he says. There are two trees, good and bad in our text. Next week there's two houses. And Jesus says every single person here at Faith Baptist Church today, you see you are either eating from one of those trees or the other, or you are that tree. He says, you're either entering this gate or that one, this way or that way. You either build this kind of house or that one. See, there really isn't any middle ground. There aren't any exceptions. To the point where Jesus says in the text, circle it, see it in verse 17 and 19, he makes the all-inclusive phrase, every. See, this isn't rocket science, Jesus says. You're either a good tree with good fruit or you're a bad tree with bad bad, bad fruit. And he says, listen, you're either healthy or you're diseased. He says, that's the ESV interpretation. Here's why. Because your fruit demonstrates the root. See, it's easy to stand up here and just say because of what he teaches that Joel Olstein is a heretic. And he is. But when the flooding came from Hurricane Harvey and thousands of people were left homeless, Joel Olstein didn't open his church. He was asked why. He said, well, right now our church is not accessible. He was asked a little later, when people were really in need, even more than ever before, he said, well, I haven't opened it yet because the city hasn't asked us. And then it was a few days later, after a week of this whole thing, and the bad publications he got from it, there was a Twitter, someone tweeted, or whatever the word is for this, he said, if you were a real Christian, you'd be opening your doors to displaced neighbors. Open them now and prove who you are. Olstein said, we will after all the other shelters are full. It was common, and I read an article in a newspaper, it said local furniture stores, who had no place to stay hardly at all, opened their doors to let people come and stay on their mattresses that were brand new and did a better job responding than he did. Now, you know, I read that and I thought this, boy, it's easy to point the finger at him, isn't it? It's easy to say, wow, how could you be so heartless? You preach the gospel, you have 30,000 people, you have all this money and everything else, and you really don't care about teacher. And I, people, I'm not surprised because that's who he is. But can I tell you this? How about pointing the finger at yourself? It's easier to do a fruit inspection on Joel Olstein. You know why? Because he lives in Houston, Texas. And I can stand back here and point, can't I? But what about your mirror and mine? What about pointing the finger at yourself? Let me modernize the translation. Ready? Beware of false people who come to you in Christian clothing. 
Beware of their inner wolf, I called it. See, you look like a Christian. You come on Sunday mornings. You talk like a Christian. You know all the Christian ease vocabulary. Maybe at times think like a Christian. Hold the positions on certain political issues that Christians do. But a closer fruit inspection would dictate otherwise. See, it's the rotten words that demonstrate where the root of your tree really is that come out of your mouth. It's the teenagers who have diseased disobedience to their parents. See, they are good at church, but when it comes home, they're rebellious and they react against their parents' authority. See, that's the indication of what the root is all about in your life. See, putrid impurity, that's the truth of it. When someone has really no sexual integrity, they can climb your cage and tell you how awful it is about the immorality and the homosexuality and the adultery in all our culture, why they every night at home are looking on the internet. See, the relationships and the way that you treat your spouse and your children. See, those are the things that demonstrate the reality of any profession that we might make. And I can tell you this, that we as pastors or you as Christians may not be able to see through the false spiritual veneer or facade of people who have this externalism down pat. But here's what Jesus says. See, not only are false prophets deceptive, but they're doomed. And I say that because there is a day coming, a judgment day, that the Lord will reveal all of it. Can I say it again? All of it. Not only the false prophets and false preachers, but the false people will be made known to what they really are. And so Jesus, again, using inclusive language, says this in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, listen to this. That means this, that there are a lot of people, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, sit in evangelical churches constantly on a regular basis. And Jesus says, don't be fooled. Because not everyone who worships me and raises their hands and says, Lord, Lord, to me is going to enter the kingdom. And he's so strong about it. These are his words that he says, Lord, Lord. See, it's emphatic. Anytime you repeat a name in the Bible, you're trying to get someone's attention. Remember, Martha, Martha, he says to her, Jesus did. Remember, Moses, Moses on the Damascus Road, Saul, Saul. See, anytime a double name is used in Scripture, It's God really trying to get your attention. So here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who thinks they have my attention by saying, Lord, Lord, I mean, who are emphatic about how much they love me and know me, he says, not all of them are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. And he uses the strongest adversative. He says, but... He says, but, in verse 21, but the one who does the will of my Father. See, it's the lifestyle that you live, not because you earn your salvation, because your lifestyle proves that you really have it. See, it's possible to have a confession without a possession, Jesus would say. There's a big difference, choose which one you have this morning, between a verbal allegiance to Jesus and a visible allegiance to Jesus. See, the Lord, Lord part is while in the most stringent terms, Jesus, I love you, 
I want to bow to your lordship. See, the, the verbal allegiance is there. And I stand with Jesus. And we would say it to anyone who would ask. But the, Jesus says that's not the determination. Because you can say it all you want, but it's the one who does the will of my Father. See, the verbal allegiance, not backed up by the visible allegiance, is no allegiance, Jesus says. Saving faith is not, hear me, saving faith is not merely knowing the truth, but it's also submitting to the truth. And that's why, can I emphasize it again? Jesus says in chapter 7, In verse 22, on that day of judgment, which will be a scary day, it says, on that day, and he uses the same word again. Isn't this frightening? He says in 722, on that day, many will say to me, not just a few, many, the majority, he will say, Lord, and and here's how he connects it, watch. Did we not prophesy in your name? Remember what I told you? Beware of false prophets. The first paragraph. Now he's going to connect it. He says, let me tell you people who lead other people astray. People who don't believe the truth and don't preach the truth and teach the truth. Can I tell you what's going to happen to them? They may look like someone that you should send their money to on TV. They may look like the greatest guy in the world. And they may say all these positive things that make you feel good. But here's what Jesus says. They're going to go over on Judgment Day when they stand before God. They're going to have a very, a very impressive list of externalisms. When they say, Lord, Lord, they're going to say, you know what we did for you, Jesus? We prophesied in your name. Now watch. We cast out demons in your name. And we did many mighty works. And the word mighty is dunamis, which we get in English dynamite. We did powerful things. I mean, we did miraculous things in your name, he says. And now, I'll have to be honest. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, have you cast out any demons this week? You may have a kindergartner at home, but that doesn't count. <laughs> have you ca- I mean, I haven't. I haven't done any miraculous things. My wife says the only miraculous thing I do is be able to read my own sermon notes. That's about it. I haven't prophesied. See, that's impressive because I haven't done any of those things. And then every time the impressive list is mentioned in order, it says, in your name. See it in the text? I prophesied in your name. See, I cast out demons in your name. In other words, I know you. I took your name. I'm yours, right? We're together on this, right, Jesus? Paul uses similar hyperbole in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember when he said this? If you speak with the tongues of men and angels, you have the gift of prophecy. You understand all mysteries and knowledge. You have all faith to move mountains. You give all your goods to feed the poor. I mean, have you done that? He says, if you give your body to be burned, I mean, you make the ultimate sacrifices and you do all of that. And here's what, here's what Paul says. And if you don't have love, if it doesn't come from a transformed inside, it's Nothing, he says. Let me translate that to English. God's not impressed. He's not. So let me translate first century externalism to 21st century externalism. So we say today, Lord, Lord, have we not gone to all the services in your name? And we Sunday school, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Haven't we in your name? Haven't we done all the services Haven't we evangelized lost people? Didn't we give money in the plate? 
to help that missionary in your name? Did we not go on missions trips in your name? Didn't we serve a term or two as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader? Didn't I just work at VBS in your name? And Jesus says, not impressed. Not impressed if it doesn't come from an inside-out righteousness. And you ask, Pastor Walker, how is this possible? How can you be that kind of a person and do all those things? And God says he's not impressed. Well, I'll tell you how. The scariest verse in the whole Sermon on the Mount is the last one. And Jesus says in response to that, on Judgment Day, don't forget the context, he says, and then, meaning here's a flowing of chronological events. You die, you stand before God, you call him Lord, Lord, and you plead by your case by showing him all the external things that you did. And his response is, I declare to them, I confess to them. It's formal. The only other time it's used in Matthew, it is translated, I promised with an oath. Here's what Jesus says in a courtroom situation. I solemnly swear to you as I listen to your voice and I look at your life, here's what I'm going to declare to you. Ready, he says? He says in verse 23, I never, double negative, I never knew you. Let that sink in. I never knew you. It's almost like a, a gavel just banging. He says, here's what the end is. Here's the settlement. Here's the sentence. I never knew you. I can think of four words that Jesus could say to me that would upset me. Your faith was small. I, I don't want to hear that. You weren't very generous. I don't want to hear that. You were selfish sometimes. I don't want to hear that. You didn't pray enough. It's tough to hear. None of those compare to the four words in our text. To stand on judgment day before Jesus, to make your case as a child of God, and the response to be from the throne, I never knew you, will be the most shocking thing that will ever take place in all eternity in your life. I never knew you is a relational word. Jesus isn't impressed with our religious externalism. You know what? Can I say it to you? No matter how amazing it might be to others. What he's impressed with, the only thing that he accepts, is a relationship with his son Jesus. Can you see in the text in 721? Jesus says, not everyone who says, look at the preposition, To me. See it? Verse 22, he says, On that day, many will say, To me, he says. Verse 23, the last thing Jesus will ever say to you that you will hear in your ears if you don't know him, depart, listen, from me, he says. See, final separation at the judgment will be God issuing issuing you that your life will be banned from his presence for eternity. The only other time that the phrase depart from me is ever used in Matthew's gospel is this indicting clause. Listen to Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left hand, the goats, not his sheep, he will say this, depart from me, you cursed. 
into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So when he says depart from me, it's not say, hey, take a hiatus or a break for a while over there. Let me fill in what it means to you. When Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me, he is saying forever in the lake of fire. That's what he's saying. And many, he said, many will be the case in that situation. For what reason? Listen, and we're done. You workers of lawlessness. You didn't keep the law. Oh, not Moses' law. No, Jesus' Torah. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. See, you didn't care about immorality because you did it in your heart. See, you were worried about just what your eyes said. Jesus, I'm worried about you. See, you didn't care about showing mercy and kindness and praying and giving alms. You wanted to be seen by people. And on and on, through the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, see, you didn't think it was enough to keep my Torah the way I said that you live. And if you don't live the way I say to live, he says you will never enter the kingdom because it's Jesus that matters. See, you could be here today Please hear me. You could be here today and you know about Jesus. You know who he is and what he did and all the facts. But he didn't say, depart from me because never, you never knew about me. It's not even you knowing him. Did you catch it? The question this morning is not only do you know God, do you know Jesus? Listen, listen. Does he know you? Does he know you? That's a question that the answer to will determine your eternity. Your eternity. Does your heart and your life indicate that you really, truly know God and he knows you? Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. In just a minute, we're going to have a closing song, 597, Take My Life and Let It Be. But you can't be consecrated to the Lord if he's never taken your life. Walking in an aisle won't change anything, even though we invite you to do so today. It's a transformed life because the grace and love and mercy of God has flooded your soul. That the Holy Spirit has given you genuine repentance. John the baptizer said in the same gospel, he says, have a life worthy, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, don't just say, God, forgive me, and don't change. He says, no, bear a life, bear fruits that are worthy of that repentance that you claim to have. And maybe this morning, you'd say, Pastor Walker, I know what I believe in my mind. I know what I profess with my lips, but I'll have to be honest, it's a far cry to what I live in my life. And can I tell you as kindly as I can, Jesus knows that. Don't be deceived by externalism, empty professions, words, past prayers. God isn't impressed. What he's looking for is a relationship with Jesus Christ that results in you keeping his Torah his way of living, a transformation. If that's not the confidence that you have, would you come today? 
And we'll have someone take the scriptures and show you how you can know God and have assurance that God knows you. Oh, Master, I pray that your words would not fall in the weeds or in the rocky soil, but on good ground, and that it would take root in the hearts and lives of people today and spring up to bear fruit unto eternal life. Father, I pray that we forget about what everyone else thinks and what people have thought of us and what they believe about us because all that matters on judgment day is what you know us to be. So give us humility and a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, because these sacrifices you will not despise. And we'll ask you for that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.